So I, as I was putting together a message to, to finalize our Philippians uh, series, um, I realized that um, many of you don't know a whole lot about me, so I thought I would just spend a few minutes uh, giving you a little information about me and, and kind of where I come from and a little bit of my spiritual journey. Um, as a young boy, my family was on a one-way ticket to the Jerry Springer show. And those of you who are old enough, you understand that reference. I mean, we were, we were jacked up, man. We didn't know it. We had no clue. We're just kind of doing our thing. And, you know, my, my family, my, my mom and dad like to, like to carouse and, and have a good time. And, and I remember in the neighborhood that I grew up in, there was a, there was a, there was a church around the corner, and it had a neon cross on the top of it. And we used to make fun of it. We used to say, I guess that's the, the, the Las Vegas church. You know, they had a neon cross. We just, that was just something we thought was funny. I ended up going to a preschool or a daycare center. I think it was in second or third grade. I went, up, went to a daycare center that was, that was smack dab in the middle of this church's property. This was up in Santa Fe Springs, California. And I'm at this daycare center and I was bullied mercilessly by a group of, of young men at my school, uh, but we all went to the daycare center together. And so I, I was telling my dad about these kids who would steal my milk money. How many, ever, how many of you had milk money when you were a kid? You leave it on the corner of your desk, teacher would take it, and a carton of milk would show up. They would steal my milk money, they would push me around, and so I told my dad about it, and he said, son, you'll never take care of those guys together. you got to separate them. What does that mean? Find them when they're alone, and take care of it. So one day at the daycare center, I decided to enact my vengeance upon these young men. They had, they had uh, pushed me around earlier that day, so I found each of the four of them in a different place in the daycare center, and I snuck up behind them, and I just beat the tar out of each one of them. I remember punching a kid in the back of the head so hard, I couldn't even feel my fist. Yeah! <laughs> and I gotta tell you, as a third grader who was enacting vengeance and being beat up every day, it felt good. Is it okay for me to say that? It felt pretty good. So later on that day, my mom showed up, and the daycare director said, your son can no longer go here. He's being removed. In the midst of all that, my parents were going through a divorce. And my mom didn't have a lot of money. And she was confused about how things were going to proceed. And they wanted to transfer me to another daycare center, but they couldn't find one that was as inexpensive as the one I was in. And so she discovered a daycare center in Downey, and she found out that there was a church that was sponsoring the daycare center, and people were giving scholarships to people in the community who couldn't afford daycare. So my mom put me into Kirkwood Child Care Center. It's a Christian daycare in Downey, California. And I remember her talking about how grateful she was that God had provided money for me to be safe in the mornings and the evenings. Never a mention of God. In the midst of all this, through the, the, the Jerry Springer-esque life and the divorce and all the different things, I had a little 
black Bible. I was baptized Catholic as a baby, and there's a little black Bible on my shelf in my room, and I would open it. It had a zipper. I still have it. It's in my office. It has a zipper, and I would open it up, and I would look at the pictures of Adam and Eve and Noah and David. And whenever I was stressed or feeling pressure or my parents were arguing, I would typically go in my room, and I would open up, and I would look at the pictures, not really knowing what they meant. It was King James. I didn't understand it. The first day going to school at, at the daycare center, I got on the bus. You guys remember the, the wheel well of the bus or the entryway of a bus? There's big stairs. My first step, I look up, and I see the kindest eyes I'd ever seen in my life. His name was John. Because he said, what's your name? I said, I'm Kevin. What's your name? I'm John. And on the dash, he had a Bible. And I said, I, I have one of those. He said, oh, yeah? Well, what, what kind of Bible is it? I said, I don't know. <laughs> he goes, well, maybe look on the cover or inside and, and tell me tomorrow. I said, Okay. So I came back the next day, and I'm getting on the bus, and he looks at me and goes, did you find out what kind of Bible you have? I said, yes. What is it? It's a Holly Bible. <laughs> he explained to me what holy was, and he invited me to a comic strip Bible study. Isn't that great? So every afternoon after school, I would go into this room, and me and six or seven kids would would have this Bible that was in comic strip form and we would, we would learn about God. My mom transferred to San Francisco. I was pulled away from that daycare center and life began to go crazy again. But years later, we would come back to that area and I was back in the Downey area and going to school, going to high school and a friend of mine that I would just get into a lot of trouble with if he's watching online, maybe he is. His name is Addison. We'd get into all kinds of trouble together. One night, it was parent-teacher conference night, and he said, man, you don't want to go to that. I go, no, I don't want to go to that. My parents will find out what kind of grades I'm getting. He goes, come with me to youth group. I'm like, what is a youth group? And he explained to me what it was. It was at the very same church my, par my parents and I used to make fun of, the Neon Cross Church where that original daycare center was. It's the first time I'd ever walked on the property. I'm like, I used to make fun of that crumb. And I walked into the youth group, I walked into the youth room, and I saw two things. I saw lots of pretty girls there. And I saw a man named Mark who looked at me with the same kind eyes that I saw in John's face. And immediately I knew this is the same. This is the same. Eventually I gave my life to Jesus. I met beautiful woman, girl at the time, Brenda. We were high school sweethearts. We've been married for 31 years, 32 going on. I've been in ministry with Foursquare for 25 years. 
spent a little time in the Navy, doing some college, getting some degrees. But all of that led me to be here with you. Last night, we came home late. We were gone for a week. My, my dad's wife of how long now? 20 years. My mom passed away that long ago. She passed away this, this last week. So we were gone helping my dad take care of some things. And we came home late last night and pulled in the driveway. And, you know, we live in the parsonage here. We opened the door. And we just looked at each other and said, this is home. This feels like home. Pulling up the street, seeing the church, knowing we're going to be here the next day, it just, we're home. There's just something about being home. Amen? Something about being home. So we're grateful that we're here. We're grateful that we get to be a part of your lives. And we're grateful for what God is going to do because I know God is going to continue to do amazing things with us and with you and through you. So let me, let me continue reading uh, Philippians. The, the, the verses I have been uh, given are verse 14 through 23 in chapter 4. And let me, just, let me just pray and ask the Lord to be with us. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all that you're doing. God, I pray that you would be in, the, in our presence right now. God, you would speak to us what you would have us take away. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. It says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in difficult. This is the New, uh, New American Standard Bible. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that in the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once to, for my needs. Now that I seek the gift itself, but I, now, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increase to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from, we won't even try it. What you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The emphasis on this passage is needs. When Pastor Mark was here, Last week, he talked about contentment, and we absolutely understand the, the idea of being content, but we all have needs, and those needs are connected between us and between God, and they all revolve around relationship. In, in Luke 6.38, listen to what, what Jesus says. He says, give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, running over, and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. Can we just redeem and take that verse back from the prosperity gospel preachers for a second? Can we do that? We've all experienced 
not being able to outgive God in some way, shape, or form. Every one of us has had a need, we've given, and God has met our needs. Every one of us. In material possessions, in finances. But I want to tell you that the real application for this verse, as it's connected to needs, is how we give love to those who are unlovable. It's it's how we give blessings to those whom we believe deep down in the secret places of our hearts are unworthy. And it's how we give forgiveness to those who have legitimately done us dirty. Let me just stop there for a second. As you give love, as you give blessing, as you give forgiveness, it will return to you shaken down, pressed together. You won't be able to contain it. So as Paul is speaking about our needs... He's speaking of it in a, in a sense of community. You met my needs. You took care of me. Nobody else would. You guys are the ones who stepped up and took care of this situation. And then he says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches or his resources in glory. I've come to realize a super spiritual truth for me. And that is our mandate to love God and to love others, is directly connected to our desire and ability to meet the needs of others and to be open to others meeting my needs. You say, Kev, it sounds a little selfish. It's a system. It's a system. John Townsend, in his, in his book, People Fuel, says it like this. He says, the idea is simple. We need to need each other. People are the fuel for us to grow, to be healthy, and to prosper. So let's break that down again. My God will supply your needs according to his riches in glory. It's a needs-meeting system. I needed peace when my parents were going through their divorce. And God used John the bus driver to give me peace. My mom needed blessing when she didn't know how things were going to work out. And God used the good people of the Kirkwood Child Care Center to heap blessing upon my mother. We're comfortable being the sorcerer. 
When I first came up here, I, I, I talked about how we, we, a lot of us, when we come to Christ, we acknowledge the need, we understand the need, but then over time, we, we become more comfortable being the one who sources the blessing, sources the forgiveness, sources uh, the need, sources the financial need, sources the things that other people need because it feels good to give, right? It feels really good to give. It's better to give than to receive, right? We, 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 we hear that our whole life, and so, so even as we become adults, we, it, Christmas is about giving gifts to your kids, and you don't need anything, and I don't need anything, and, and, and it's easy to be the sorcerer of blessing. It's really difficult Especially, it's really, it's, it's, it's interesting, is it's the more we become in Christ, it feels like it becomes more difficult to be the source E, or the person who's receiving. It almost feels like our pride won't let us. Numerous interactions in my life of, of times when, when I'm struggling and frustrated and going through difficulties as a pastor, as a leader, and how many can relate to this even just as an as a, as a adult Christian, and, and someone says, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. You know, life's, life's great. Everything's Everything's wonderful. And as you're saying it underneath, in, in, in your mind, you're like, this is just such a lie. This is such a lie right now. No, no, it's, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Most of us have no idea the benefit of having needs. There's a benefit to having needs. But actively engaging in our needs and meeting the needs of others is life-changing. Let me say that again. Actively engaging and acknowledging that you have needs and letting other people be a part of that, at the same time, meeting the needs of other people is life-changing. Because most of us as Christians do this dance. We come to church, we listen for the thing that needs money, we give money, we go out with our friends, we hang out with our friends, we hear stories of other people who maybe need financial help or need a, a dresser and we figure out how to get that and then we get into our homes and we, we're sitting, we're watching TV or we're, we're reading or we're going to bed and we're thinking about things that we need and we say, well, I'll just have to take care of that. It'll, it'll get taken care of. Or you might drop a prayer. Lord, if you think about it, I have a need. Why is it life-changing to engage in understanding that you have needs and allowing other people into that and then meeting the needs of other people? Because God designed needs to foster relationship. This is the system. This is the system that he set up. The moment he created Adam, he said what? It's not good for man to be alone. 
He's going to have needs that she can help meet. When you're experiencing a need, God is giving you an opportunity to grow in relationship with those around you. And Paul understood that. He's writing a letter to people that he's in relationship with. He's talking to people on a personal level, and he's speaking of these needs and those needs and your needs, and we're all connected and we're giving and we're loving and we're connecting to one another in relationship because we care for one another. But somehow, through the years, we've gotten to a place where it's just about, it's me and Jesus. Can I help you with that? No, no. God will take care of it. I want to be a blessing to you. Oh, the Lord is with me. And that's not bad. It's just incomplete in the system that God has set up. God wants you to need people around you. You can be really, really bad at this in church. Let me give you some examples. A few years ago, um, I contracted what's called cardiomyopathy. Uh, right now, I have an uh, electronic device. It's an internal defibrillator. It sits right here. Um, if I go down, don't shock me with another uh, defibrillator because that won't be good. Um, just a warning, Vince, you're in charge. Um, I, I, I got cardiomyopathy because I caught a virus, a random virus. Uh, they believe it's the Coxsackie B virus that runs rampant in preschools, and we had a preschool at our church, and uh, I, I, I caught this virus. It enlarged my heart. And, and my ejection fraction, for those in healthcare in here, went down to like 35 and then down to 25. And I wasn't going to go to the hospital. I just wasn't going to go. I thought I was just having, you know, issues of being out of, out of shape. Like, you're breathing heavy. Get in shape. Get on a treadmill. And somebody close to me, somebody in relationship with me, Said, have you gone to the doctor? Said, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to my primary care. It'll be okay. And she grabbed me by the face. And she said, go to the emergency room. So I did. And I'm glad I did. Because if I would have let it go, I could have died. So I was pastoring a church at the time and, and um, really struggling with how, it's gonna, how I'm going to proceed and I realized that I was very limited of what I could do, a lot of stress involved with what I was doing. I didn't have a lot of mechanisms in place to, to deal with that stress. Um, the church had been pastored by the same pastor for 40 years, and so when we took over, it was just this desire to split this church because people didn't want anything new at all. Come on. The former senior pastor would sit in the front row and say, why is he doing that? That gives you a lot of stress. <laughs> so my district leaders came to me and they said, we think it'd be good for you to take a six-month sabbatical and just let this thing settle down. So I took a break. 
The context of this story is that we were really bad at meeting needs with people within the church. There were some moments where I would lay awake until 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning wondering if I was going to live. I would toss and turn. I would pray. And I remember one night I just decided I can't keep my wife up and so I went and I slept in the other bedroom which was not a good idea because I isolated myself. And I continued to sleep in another bedroom and I would lay awake for hours and hours and hours. I remember feeling afraid to go to sleep because I didn't know if I was going to wake up. And one morning, having just gone to sleep a few hours earlier and waking up, I was woken up to a text from somebody in my church. And this was the text. Brother Kevin, you know you're in trouble. Brother Kevin, if you would just repent for whatever you did, God would heal you and restore you. When we left on sabbatical, we, we set a few things in motion. We said, this is how we want things to be. We, we want you guys to kind of maintain some things that we've done. And we put some people in charge. And during that time, within the first couple of weeks, within the first week, people were jockeying for position. They saw a vacuum, and things just began to go all different ways, and people trying to fill holes and figure things out. And I understand that it was frustrating to them, but we really stink sometimes in the church meeting people's needs and trying to help people through circumstances. I finally got to a place where I knew that I needed to reach out to those I was closest to and just share everything and pour everything out. And I was able to do that because I had people who were close to me. How many can relate? How many can relate to going through some real difficulties and not having an understanding or a, 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 a place to go or people to talk to? And maybe you take those things home and you sit with them. And yes, you take them before the Lord, but you feel like nobody understands. You feel like nobody gets you. Nobody could possibly know what you're going through. The reason I know that you know that is because we all experience that. We all experience that frustration of not knowing what to do and how to get to that next place because we feel alone. There are some specific reasons why we don't ask for help. There's some specific reasons why we feel alone. There's some specific reasons why we don't go to that next place where we can receive what God has for us. When Paul says, my God will supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory, he's saying my God will supply all of, his, all of your needs according to the resources that He's placed around you. When you're feeling alone, 
when you're feeling frustrated, when you're feeling like nobody understands, little pearls of pixie dust aren't going to fly out of heaven and bring healing to you. The people around you who have been empowered by God are going to be able to speak life into you. So the first way, the first reason why we don't ask is we feel weak. If I ask, I won't feel strong, I won't feel stable. And because I'm a Christian, I should always be strong and I should always be stable. Come on, somebody has to identify with that in here. As a Christian, it's my job to be strong and stable. Because if God is doing his job, then I will be strong and stable and I won't need anything from anybody because I'm in Christ and everything's going to be okay. So if I ask for help or I show weakness, people will know that really behind the scenes, maybe God's not doing his job. That can't be. So the reality is I'm just really jacked up. And nobody needs to know that. So when they ask me how I am, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm great. I'm wonderful. Fearfully and wonderfully made, brother. How are you doing? I'm strong and stable in Jesus, and all things work together for those who are called according to his good purposes. Amen. And we walk away and we feel like <laughs> if they only knew. I reached out to a friend this last week. I have a friend that lives near my dad. And I knew I was going to be going through some really difficult times. And my wife is a source of help for me. My wife is a source of strength for me. My daughter is a source of help and strength. But this individual is somebody that I have a long-term relationship with. And the moment I hit town, I sent him a text. Bro, I'll fill you in. Later, but I need you to pray for me. And what I need from you this week is when I spout off negativity, what I don't need is for you to tell me how to fix it or tell me that I'm wrong or tell me that I'm overreacting. What I need from you is to say, yeah, man, that must suck. I'm with you. And, and all week, whenever I reached out to him, his response was, yeah, man, that sounds awful. We went to breakfast one day, had a great conversation, and he supplied a need of mine to just be heard. How many of us just have a need to just be heard once in a while? I just want to know someone's listening. I don't care if you agree. I don't care if you try to change it. I just want you to listen. I don't care if I'm wrong on 18 levels. I just want to know you hear me. Because I'm processing this stuff inside of me. And when I isolate, what does Proverbs say about a man who isolates? I rage against wisdom. So getting it out of the darkness and into the light and into your ears... And then having you confirm what I'm already fearing, 
you're so wrong, doesn't help. But hearing, I hear you, that sounds difficult. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. The second reason why we don't ask for help is because we feel selfish. We have this, this, this weird understanding that asking for help is self-centered. So my question to you is, is, is today after church when you go to lunch because you're, you're starving, is it selfish to eat a little something? When, you're, when your gas tank is, is empty, is it selfish to put a little gas in your gas tank? It's not. So when you have needs in you, it's not selfish for you to reach out to people. What, what would it be like if, if we just in our life just spoke what we needed to people around us? What would it be like is if, if, our, if, our, if our significant other relationship, our spousal relationship, if we started with, hey, good morning, is there anything I can do to help you today? Yes, these are my needs for the day. Okay. And if we said, this is what I need from you, and then we actually spelled it out what we need. It, it, it almost sounds like a verse I, I'm, I'm, I'm channeling right now. You have not because you ask not. Almost like there's a system in place that God has set up for us to receive our needs and to give needs to other people. The next one is we have the God and me syndrome. It comes from this passage that we talked about. God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, but we forget what I just said is that his resources are his riches. We, people who, who teach this say things like if you reach out to other people or if, you, if, you, if you're not just reaching out to God, if you're, if you're depending or asking other people, then you lack faith. You have a limited or a small view of God. You're, you're trusting in humans instead of your Savior. You're dabbling in secular humanism. You're in sin. You're proud. And nothing could be further from the truth. Some of us have trust issues. I've been burned. And when I ask for help, I become vulnerable. And when I'm vulnerable, I'm open to attack. And it just doesn't feel good for me to be vulnerable. One of the churches that I pastored, the one that, we, that was pastored for the same pastor for 40 years, there was one individual who systematically worked everything he could to split that church right down the middle. That caused some trust issues in me. So when people came with the same sunny disposition as he did in the beginning, I'm like, I recognize that. Hey, pastor, I'm here to help. I'm here to be your guy. Okay. I've heard that before. That doesn't end well. So my walls go up. I become suspicious. How many can relate to that? Just a little bit. You've been burned. And you do not want to get burned again. So we put on our armor 
And we think it's the armor of God, and really it's just an armor to keep people out. And we use it, and we say things like, all I need is Jesus. All I need is His Spirit. All I need is this. And all the while, God is saying to you, open back up, because that is the way for you. Relationship is the way. I know that you've been burned. But relationship is the way. Some of us experience shame. We judge ourselves so harshly. We feel unworthy. But you are worthy. These two go together. The trust issues and the shame. If you're in that place right now, ask the Lord. Lord, reveal somebody in my life. Somebody close. Somebody that I want to get close to. Somebody that I've seen. Maybe I I want to trust them. Reveal somebody in my life that I can begin to share some of the shame that I'm experiencing. Because vulnerability does not come without courage. And yes, you need Jesus. He's the one that's going to give you the courage to reach out and be vulnerable. Not feeling deserving or fear of burdening another person. Let me ask you this. If any of you have felt that, I I, I don't want to burden somebody. I, I, I I don't want to feel needy. I don't want to feel like I'm, you know, high maintenance to them. Just just for a second, think about somebody that you deem as close in your life. And if you could overhear them saying about you, I I, I don't want to burden them. I, I, I don't want to be high maintenance to them. What would be your response? Are you kidding me? I'm here for you. I promise you, they're thinking the same thing. They want to be there for you. And then another reason why we don't ask for help is we just have a, a, just a general misunderstanding of the Bible. Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. Ecclesiastes 4, 9-10, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Matthew 26, 38, then Jesus said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Why would God need somebody else to stay and keep watch with him? Because the system he set up was for us to need each other. 2 Corinthians 7, 6, God who comforts the downcast comforted, by, uh, comforted us by, coming, by the coming of Titus. God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. He comforted a group of people by sending Titus. 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as, full, uh, as faithful stewards of God's grace. Literally what that passage is saying is that the people of God are his delivery system of grace. You are God's delivery system of grace. 
But it's so hard for us to, to think that, that, that that's how I'm going to get my needs met. So we're, we're quick to look around and try to fill needs and try to take care of other people and do things for other people, but the way we would get our needs met is to just simply step away and isolate. And for some of us, you've got a really robust prayer life. And you're praying, you're saying, God, I need you to take care of this burden. I need you to take care of this burden. I'm so overwhelmed by this burden. And then you get a phone call and somebody says, hey, how have you been? I'm great. (laughs) Things are so good. God is so good. Okay, great. Just want to check on you. Thank you so much for checking on me. I'll be fine. Lord, I just need you to come and, and minister to me and Send your ministering angels and do you see how we've really messed this up? And so Paul is saying, you've met my needs. You'll continue to meet my needs. And I know that as I believe, God will meet all of your needs with all of the resources that he's placed around you. So stay in community. Stay connected. Be with one another. Look for opportunities to bless those outside, but know that that you are being ministered to by those in your sphere. And that is a word for us in the church. That is a word for us as, as those who serve God. And I know it's so hard when we have to socially distance. And I know it's so hard when we can't see each other's faces. You know what I've started saying to people at gas stations and grocery stores when I'm wearing my mask? They'll say something, they'll give me my change, or they'll say, have a nice day, and I'll say, thank you. And I'll stop and I'll say, I'm smiling at you behind this mask. (laughs) And they'll say, oh, okay, great, thank you. But every once in a while, someone will say, oh, thank you. We feel so isolated right now. And it feels so much like last year, and and it's, it's ramping up again, and we're like, I can't do it again. I can't do it again. And listen, God understands that. None of this is taken in by surprise. So as we, as we wrap up this, this amazing book, as we wrap up this, this amazing letter to the church, I believe that God is saying something specific to us as a community. And as you feel the stress and you feel the same things that plagued us last year and the isolation and the separation and wondering how it's going to be, to press in to me and to each other. Reach out to those around you and find the resources, the riches that God has placed in this community. Because He's placed us here for such a time as this. He's placed us here to be for each other. 
I was walking down the street, going to check on their house last week, and I ran into my neighbor, and she asked me, how's your, how's your dog? We had to put our dog to sleep a couple weeks ago. And I had, a, had the greatest conversation with her, and I said, hey, we're getting ready to leave. And just on a whim, I said, hey, would you watch our house? I don't even know this person. Yeah, we'll keep an eye out. Leave some lights on. Okay, we'll do that. Later on that night, she sent me two tickets to the Padre game for the next day. So weird. And now we're texting back and forth, and we're keeping an eye on their stuff, they're keeping an eye on my stuff. God's doing something there. Right? He's doing something. Remember Pastor Larissa? In, in the, in, when I first came, she was talking about our porch. Give me the other two. Pathway, porches, pivots, and parish. Remember those? God has a plan for us, you guys. And that is to be here for one another and to be here for those around us. Because what is more comforting when everything feels separated, when everything feels off kilter, when everything feels like it's never going to end, when everything feels so out of balance, what is the one thing that we can count on? It's God and it's those around us. The two-pronged system that God has set up. We have needs in order to foster relationship. How many have needs in this room? We have needs because of the pandemic. We have needs because of all of the politics going around. We have needs. All these things produce needs in us. And those needs are here so that we can foster relationship with Jesus and with those around us. Paul knew this. He understood it. And it was the basis for his ministry. He goes on to say, greet Every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. He had some weird relationship with Nero's servants and family and, and all kinds of weirdness going on there, like this horribly, horribly diabolical dictator. He was connected to those in his household. By the way, they send their greetings too. Ah! Why? Because I'm allowing myself to be used by God in every situation. I'm allowing myself to build relationship with those in places I don't even feel safe. Imagine allowing yourself to build relationship and to let God use you in places that you don't even feel safe. Can we just agree that as we navigate through all the things we've navigated through the last however many months, can, can everybody just admit that there are people in your life that you feel like you're speaking a completely different language to? Like we disagree on so many levels and in so many things. Logically, we're never coming together. How many feel like that? Logically, we're never coming together. But somehow, somehow, if we open ourselves up, 
God will use us to build relationship. And he will use that relationship to bring healing and wholeness to them and to you. Why? Because that is his plan and his system. So step back from it all. God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. Press in to people. These are not issues. These are not problems. The things that we're dealing with are not just issues. They're people. It's so easy to slap a label on a whole group of people and dehumanize them and push them aside. That's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to press into relationship wherever we are. Wherever we are and whoever we're with. Worship team, would you guys come back up and I know that that's, that last piece is difficult because we've been, we've been trained for the longest time to just take an individual and think about their values and what they think or who they are or what they do and to put them into this category so that we can understand or think we can understand who they are and what they do, but then we can have them over here in a neat, tidy space, and anybody who thinks like them or acts like them or is like them gets lumped there so we can handle it. Makes it easy for us. Makes it easy for us to blame. Well, it's, be it's because they're this. It's because they think this way. All of our problems are because of that, that group of people. <laughs> Come on. The world is so messed up because of that group of people. When I moved to San Diego, this is, this is the honest truth. When I moved to San Diego, one of my family members said this to me. Aren't you afraid? I said, I said of what? Of, of sunshine and, and cool breezes? No. All of the, the refugees coming across the border. And, and, and all of the drug dealers. And this person was as serious as a heart attack. And, and the cartels are coming across. No, I'm not afraid of that. And I wanted to just take that person and put them in a category and say, they're jacked up. But, but the Lord said to me, that fear has gripped them. And somehow I'm going to use you at some point to maybe help them. We've heard countless sermons on coming together. We've heard countless sermons on being there for one another. 
We've heard countless sermons on how we're going to defeat all of these things that are happening by being unified and being connected. And, and all of them are true, and all of them are wonderful, and all of them are great. But each one of them starts with you as an individual saying, I'm not only willing to help people around me and to look for opportunities to help people, but I'm also willing to have the courage to be vulnerable and let other people meet my needs as well. We've got to stop this idea that we're just these, these, these wonderful Jesus commandos that parachute into horrible situations and clean everything up. Look at me! We fixed that situation. Then you walk away feeling like there's something missing. It's got to be us connecting to one another and bearing another, one another's burdens. But it's never going to work on a massive scale if it doesn't start right here, among us, in this room, as we go, as we continue to do what we're doing. The words of Paul, my God will supply all of your needs according to the resources that he's placed to your right and to your left because it's his glory that sits within each person in this room. How many believe that? My God will meet your needs. Father, thank you for how you've brought us through. That even now, Lord, we're here. We're wearing masks. We're not happy about it. We're frustrated. We want to be there for other people. We want to connect with other people. We want to see this thing through. But God, we thank you that you're here and you're among us. You're in our midst, Lord. Would you speak clearly to us on how we're to operate, how we're to to navigate all that's happening, how we're to connect with each other and, and, and believe that you're going to use us as individuals to, to minister all around us. Keep us in your grace, Lord. Remind us daily, Lord Jesus, that this struggle is so that we can build relationship. The needs that are occurring is so that we can build a relationship. And relationship fosters needs. And needs fosters relationship. And relationship fosters needs. And the system goes on and on and on and on. And one day, Lord, as you come in the clouds, we will see heaven coming to us. And we will recognize it. Because, Lord, you're bringing the ultimate needs meeting at that point. You're going to meet all of our needs. And we'll recognize it. We'll say, yes, he's coming to meet my needs. And I'm used to having people meet my needs. And I thank you, Jesus, that ultimately you're meeting my needs in this moment. And I'm ready. Be with us, Lord God. Burden us for one another. And reveal in us how we need to ask and to be courageous and vulnerable in the midst of our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen.